Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today we're going to look at resistant weight loss in runners. So this is for runners who are stuck when it comes to weight loss. They're already healthy eaters and dedicated endurance runners, but it feels like no matter what they do, nothing is happening to help them lose weight. This can be so frustrating. So today we're going to explore the potential underlying reasons for being in this stuck position and how a functional nutrition approach can support positive body composition changes alongside what you can do to fine-tune your run training to help promote weight loss. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy-to-apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance and especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalized sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. everyone and welcome back. I'm Karen and I'm here today with Aileen once again. Hi Aileen, how are you today? Oh great, thanks Karen, good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Great to be with you once again. So as usual, before we start exploring our topic today, we're going to start with a question um, to each other about our nutrition or running. And so today, Aileen, um, this question has got nothing to do with today's topic. Sometimes they're linked to the topic, sometimes they're not. And this one's got nothing to to, to do with it. However, it could be something that um, our listeners might want to ponder. So what I'd like to ask you is, Aileen, if you could choose any race in the world to complete, which one would it be? Now, it may not be one that you will complete, but just one that inspires you. What's your choice? Okay, Karen. Well, this is a total fantasy. And uh, my fantasy uh, race is the Bhutan International Marathon. And it's a a bit of a fantasy for two reasons. One's because I'm not sure I'll actually ever run a marathon. Um, So it's always, it's never been something I've aspired to do particularly. Uh, Although there is a Bhutan International Half Marathon on the same day. Uh, and also, it's really just because Bhutan's been on my travel wish list for forever, really. Um, I went to uh, Nepal, oh, gosh, 20, 30 years ago. It's, it's a really long time ago. <laughs> and I love being in the Himalayas. It was like, oh, just fantastic place. And I remember thinking then that I would go back to 
go, go back to the Himalayas and Bhutan was a special place that I'd like to go. So it's a tiny little country. And I think they even limit the number of visitors they have each year. So they're very strict about giving visas. Um, so the route of this, um, this race is through the countryside and villages. It looks a fabulous route. Um, and it finishes at uh, a beautiful fortress, which is called Punaka Zong. Um, and that's, that's where all the kings of Bhutan have been crowned throughout history. Um, so I did look at the altitude because I was slightly worried about mm. that. And it starts <laughs> at 6,700 feet. So that's not too high. And it, mm. it ends at 1,200 feet. So you're actually going downhill. Um, over the, the period of the race. So that was quite encouraging. Yes. Um, you know, I've had uh, experiences, not really of altitude sickness, but it definitely uh, slows you down when I've been on trekking type holidays. I've, I've noticed that. Um, so, yeah, that's my fantasy. So I'll put it on the wish list and we'll see if I ever make it. And what about you? What's your, yeah. do you have a fantasy one or is the one that you really are going to do sometime? No, I think mine's probably a fantasy one as well, Aileen. But I have to say, yours sounds really exotic. And the fact well, you can that... Too, if you like. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We could do it together. Yes, yeah. And the thing is, you've you've learned so much about it, Aileen. So it's almost like it could become a reality. You know, even the altitude, because yeah. you know you'd be running downhill. So you never know yeah. one day. But anyway, mine is definitely the Badwater Ultramarathon. Now, it's thought to be the world's toughest foot race it's um 135 miles long and for those who work in kilometers that's 217 kilometers and the course starts at 279 feet which is 85 meters below sea level in the Badwater basin and that's in california's death valley so you can imagine the temperatures as well and actually we did go through death valley um last year when we were on holiday and we could see the Badwater Basin and I got really excited, I have to say, but clearly the temperatures, I don't know what the temperature was that we were walking in, but um, I thought, my God, actually running in these temperatures, I don't think I could do. So this is a real fantasy. Um, so, so it starts there in the Badwater Basin and then it ends at an elevation of 8,360 feet. So that's 2,548 meters, which is really high. So it's the opposite to you, to your one, Aileen. You're constantly going up. And that's at a place called Whitney Portal which is the trail head to Mount Whitney. That might, might mean something to, to some people, but it doesn't mean an awful lot to me. I've never heard of it. Um, I think it, it appeals to me because it is so extreme. Therefore, you know, that sense of satisfaction at the end would be so immense because anything that I, I, I tend to do and I challenge myself to do, it's about that feeling of satisfaction and being able to say, I did it. But I think, it's one I won't complete because it is so extreme, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, it sounds like a biggie to me. And I'm not sure I'd ever join you, but I could come and uh, be your support person if you wanted. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Come along the trail and hand me some drinks. But but no, I don't think I would ever do it. But it is one that, that I, I just think just excites me, you know, even when I'm speaking about it. So, but anyway, Aileen, we must move on. Um, so let's sort of um, think about our topic for today, which is all about um, resistant weight loss in runners. 
So this is thinking about runners who are stuck when it comes to weight loss. You know, they're already healthy eaters and they're dedicated to their endurance running, but just feel that it doesn't matter what they do, their weight isn't changing. And, and you know, I, and I know sort of from clients and things this, that this can be really frustrating. So the three areas that we're going to, to explore today are the potential underlying reasons for being in this stuck position, how a functional nutrition approach can support positive changes in body composition, and what you can do with your running training to support your weight and your body composition goals. So, Aileen, just to kind of start us off, could you explain what the term resistant weight loss actually means? Yeah, well, actually, I think it's a term I made up because I did Google it and I couldn't find a term. So I think I've made this term up and and it's a term that I use to really help clients and to describe to them um, what is going on. Um, Because a lot of people do find that they're in this stuck position and um, it's really to help, as you said, to help the people who already have a healthy food and lifestyle plan in place, but they never seem to get the results with regards to either weight loss or body composition that they require. So they're the people that are eating good quality food, they're having healthy portion sizes, they might only drink alcohol very occasionally, they rarely eat sugary foods or soft drinks, they're well hydrated, they do lots of exercise regularly, you know, and it could be running and it could be all the cross training exercises that go along with that. Um, you know, so there's, there's a, a lot of people find this themselves in this situation. It's really frustrating, as you said earlier. And we have talked quite a bit about foundational nutrition and managing uh, body composition in previous episodes. So if anybody's interested in delving a little bit deeper, you could listen to episode 11 and episode 12. And that's where we look into nutrition, nutrition basics and also, um, how to get that lean body composition. Um, and also another episode that might be helpful is the one on intermittent fasting, which is episode 18. Uh, but today we're really focusing on the woman who's tried the best. And so they've probably done a lot of these things already, uh, but they're just not getting uh, results. So that's, that's really what I mean by resistant weight loss. There's something holding them in that stuck position. Uh, and we need to break that that cycle to help them get results. Yeah, thanks for that, Aileen. And I think it is so true. And I certainly get a lot of clients in my clinic complaining of exactly what you've said. You know, they're eating the healthy diet, they're exercising regularly, but they just can't change their physique. And it is so frustrating. And I I find that um, many of them that come into my clinic certainly seem to be in our sort of age group. But I was just wondering, Aileen, can you tell us a little bit about the types of people you find tend to struggle with this resistant weight loss and maybe a bit about why they're often stuck or or experiencing this weight loss plateau almost? Yeah, well, I mean, to start with, they're usually feeling really frustrated and they might even be a little bit demotivated, like what is the point in doing all of this? Um you know, they, they might be thinking, I don't want to keep this healthy lifestyle in place because it's not giving me the results. So my job really is to try and assess what's led them into this position and 
crucially what's holding them in that place. Um, and I would say that there's a few categories that people fall into. So the first one is the people that are unconsciously overeating, but they're overeating good quality, healthy food. And then the second category would be the people that are unconsciously undereating. And again, they're eating good quality, healthy food. Um, some might also have um, a biochemical imbalance, which is a bit of a technical term, um, but that's where there are underlying um, health imbalances which are contributing to that resistance, so this holding them in a certain place. Um, and also they might be needing to fine-tune their training to support the changes in body composition, or more likely they've probably got a combination of all of these things going on. Um, so that's where it really helps to have somebody sort of analyze what's going on really for you and start and make mm. some connections and give you some uh, ideas of where to make changes. Yeah, absolutely. And I often, like you say, Eileen, I often get clients who, without realizing it, are eating more than they require. And I find that they're eating extra because they believe they're expending a lot of energy in their training runs and feel that they can eat whatever they want. Or maybe they're adding in too much additional nutrition. You know, we speak about um, the pre, during and post running fueling. And so people are including that, but not necessarily adding that or including that as part of their everyday energy intake or calorie intake, for want of a better word. And I'm thinking here maybe of the likes of the, the gels and the bars. And, and I also find um, another pitfall that that can happen is that they eat the same amount every day, regardless of their training. So they're not adapting their nutrition to their training load. And um, and also something else that can happen is that people can overeat healthy fats. Um, you know, they're really good. They're really nutritionally dense, but they are calorific. So that can be another pitfall that people get into as well. So, so thinking about these types of people that I've just spoken about, Aileen, what would what would you what would your advice be to them? Yeah, well, I think the starting point would be to calculate what their resting metabolic rate is, or the basal metabolic rate, sometimes called. And then what we do is, with regards to that, we're working out what they need just to survive on, uh, and then we add activity factors in for the the days when they're training so that helps us uh, work out the baseline calorific intake and then increase it or deep you know increase it for their their training so on the days that they're doing light training or heavy endurance training they would have different amounts of food um, and also as you said you know factor in the calories from these sort of er ergogenic aids that they're having um, so that um, that's into the overall equation, if you like, for their food. Um, it really helps, I, I find, using the athlete plate guidance that, that we give clients. So that's an easy way of adjusting your portion um, sizes, particularly of the macronutrients. Um, but we've also got to think about creating an energy deficit, so a little bit more exercise than food intake but not excessively so. Um, so just doing that little bit more exercise than the amount of food that you need will help sort of set the um, metabolic rate. 
Yeah, no, these are really great tips, Aileen. And I just want to remind everybody that if you do register for our on- online program that's found on our website, runnershealthhub.com, you will be able to gain access to the athletes' plate guides that Aileen's been speaking about here. So using them to, to help support your energy intake, depending on your daily training load, so that you are able to adapt um, your, your eating habits to your training rather than that consistent eating, which may be leading to that overeating. So just a reminder to everybody. So Aileen, you, you have mentioned the overeating category of runners, but how about the undereating category? What would you say, say about them? Yeah, well, it's really the opposite. We, it's the same process, but you know, you, you, I suppose attacking it from a different angle. So these people often forget to add in the extra food that they require due to whatever their activity is. Um, so they tend to undereat every day, including the days where they're doing the big endurance runs. Um, and often I find these particular clients have used exercise as a tool to manage their weight um, and they're frightened to increase their food Um so they might have a history of yo-yo dieting. Maybe, you know, it might be decades before, but they've still got this feeling that um, they need to control their food to, to keep their weight, and, you know, in the right zone. Um, and it might be that they're not optimizing the macronutrient status where that's where the athlete plates come in. And with these people, often I find they're the ones that are, it can be in a plateau um, and that the metabolism gets stuck. And it might be because they're going into almost like a starvation mode because the, the body's like trying to conserve energy all the time rather than burn energy. Um, so it's a very sort of similar approach. It's really about educating them on how to adjust the macronutrients and the energy intake Um and explain how that's going to support them uh, with their body composition goals as well as their training goals. Um, and the way I do that is over a period of a few weeks, I gradually increase their food week by week. So it might be by 100, 150 calories a week till I get them into a position where they're eating the correct amount. And then we would go into the um, adjusting it up and down depending on, on what their activity requirements are mm. it sort of builds confidence I think doing it that way absolutely yeah yeah excellent Aileen so so you were speaking about measuring and calculating the RMR or BMR so that resting metabolic rate basal metabolic rate and and I just wanted to sort of say a little bit about the fact that there is a formula that people can use to to do that. The most commonly used one is the Harris Benedict formula. Now it was formulated back in 1919, and there are more modern formulas, but it still seems to be the one that a lot of nutritionists tend to, and sports nutritionists certainly tend to to go to. And basically, what you're doing is you're calculating the resting metabolic rate with this formula formula using um, uh, weight and height. Um, age and sex also comes into play here as well. But the calculation tells you what energy expenditure or calorie requirements you need for resting metabolic rate. And then you're adding on um, extra energy depending on the activity factor. And you spoke about that activity factor earlier, Aileen. And there are different 
different numbers depending on what type of exercise people do. And that is all calculated into this, this formula. And it's just a really useful starting point. Um, and again, people could consider doing it themselves. They could just Google the Harris Benedict formula and, um, and just sort of work it out through, like I say, height, weight, age, et cetera, and what exercise they're doing. So, um, so just moving on from there, uh, Aileen, you mentioned earlier that, um, biochemical imbalances might contribute to that resistance. Can you explain this in a bit more detail for us? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm really thinking about the different body system imbalances, uh, which obviously Karen and I talk a lot um, about with our clients because we both practice the functional medicine approach to apply nutrition. And what we do there is uh, identify uh, what these biochemical imbalances might be and then help clients get the body systems back into balance to promote good health and, and obviously with regarding what we're talking about today is the ideal body composition aspect of that. So these imbalances um, fall into different categories, but the ones that I would say are the most um, likely to be linked to this holding on of weight are hormonal imbalances, uh, digestion, um, and perhaps um, a health condition that might be contributing to it. So, you know, people maybe with thyroid conditions or, or other inflammatory conditions might be um, something to consider. So it's all about really understanding what's going on with the individual and uh, highlighting that because they might not have thought that that might be a reason for this resistant um, weight loss. Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. I think, you know, you've given everybody some great advice already and, and just kind of rounding up what you've just been speaking about. I think, like you say, it's great, it's great to check in if a person is unconsciously over or under eating and fine tuning that first, because that might be all that it is. And then people will find that they move on from this plateau, they move on from this resistant weight loss. But Certainly, this might not be the case for everybody, and that's when it's it's then about exploring the potential system imbalances, such as the hormone imbalance you were speaking about, or digestive imbalance, or maybe it's a health condition that's hampering somebody achieving that ideal body composition. So, but it's also, I think, about um, fine tuning the training. As you suggested right at the beginning, Aileen, and I know that we will be discussing that in more detail later. So hold that thought, everybody, at the moment. So, Aileen, that leads us nicely on to sort of that second area of discussion, that sort of thinking about how a functional nutrition approach can support positive changes in body com composition. So thinking about the underlying reasons for being stuck in that resistant weight loss um, position. What can you tell us about this, about the functional approach to, to helping people? Yeah, well, as you said earlier, and I know we can sort of keep recapping on this, but it's really important that all the foundations are in place with regards to the nutrition basics and the individual, making sure they're managing their macronutrient balance and also that the energy intake is just a little bit less than the energy expenditure. And once all of that is in place, then we then go through a, a way of, of looking at what the imbalances are. So they would fall into 
um, mostly, as I said, inflammation, hormonal balance, uh, digestion, and also detoxification. I didn't mention that earlier. So those would be the key sort of um, areas that I'd start looking at and seeing if, if they were issues for people. Okay, so th- so thinking about those, Aileen, how would you then as an NT go about identifying what the imbalances are for an individual? Yeah, well, you know, what we would do, um, we'd take, first of all, take a full health history. Um, so I'd be asking lots of questions about how they're feeling and asking them about maybe symptoms they're experiencing. It might even be things that they're putting up with. Um, you know, we live, we tend to live with a lot of things that we just think, oh, that's just me or that, that's my age or something like that. Um, and sometimes somebody else asking you about them, um, brings things to the fore. And, and, you know, as a professional nutritionist, I would be, um, you know, ticking off all those bits of signs and symptoms and building up a picture. And that might help give an indication as to what the imbalances are. And I'd also be finding out about what they eat, what they drink, how they exercise, how they sleep, rest, uh, what work they do, how they live, really getting that really big picture of everything that's going on in their life. Because there's a lot of different things that can be having an impact on why they're unable to lose weight. Um, you know, some of it's biochemical and some of it's lifestyle that is impacting on the biochemical things that are going on. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're saying is that initially you would build up a really good picture of their health history, their eating and exercise habits and and basically their overall lifestyle. Could you now just tell us a bit more about how inflammation and the hormone balance, digestion and detoxification you've mentioned may be affecting the individual? Yeah, sure. Well, I think the first thing to say is not everybody will be experiencing all of these issues. So, you know, it's my job to identify, you know, what few things are holding a person in that place of resistant weight loss and then creating a plan to help getting them back into balance. And sometimes the investigation process might involve some functional screening tests too. So um, that's a tool that, you know, all nutritionists would, would use and, you know, it might involve blood tests or stool tests, saliva tests, urine tests, there's a whole range of different things that we can use to sort of have a closer look at what might be going on. Um, but if I start with looking at, you know, to begin with, with inflammation, so, you know, probably everybody knows that inflammation is related to the immune system. And if you're in an inflamed state, either due to an underlying health condition or maybe something like a food intolerance, uh, that can drive obesity and resistant weight loss. Um, and obesity itself is inflammatory. So um, really, my plan there would be to look at how we could um, in- introduce maybe an anti-inflammatory food plan or anti-inflammatory nutrients to help down-regulate all that inflammation. Um, so that that would be, um, you know, a key area to, to start looking at. And then thinking about one of the really big female factors is the area of hormonal imbalances. So there's lots going on, I think, with hormones. And, um, you know, we've spoken about many of them, Karen, haven't we, in in Mm, previous episodes. Um, 
But, you know, the, the big ones that uh, can be affecting people are blood sugar imbalance and insulin resistance. And now that can affect your visceral fats and also your body composition and your hormonal balance. And it has a knock-on effect um, with stress hormones and female sex hormones. So that might be an area that just by adjusting um what people are eating and when they're eating, we could get the blood sugar balance back into the right zone and that would have a knock-on effect with the other um, other sort of factors around hormonal balance. Um, people may have heard about the cortisol connection, which is related to stress hormones. And if we're in a highly stressed state, um, the cortisol will sort of almost like but again it's like holding on to that energy it doesn't want to expend the energy so it, it keeps us uh, it drives the obesity and drives that weight around the middle so people that are highly stressed that might be something that I would pick up on um, we've talked about endurance running might be driving the stress or it could be a lifestyle stressor so those kind of the areas would need addressing um the other thing about cortisol, high cortisol can have an impact on our stress hormones, on our sex hormones, sorry, because cortisol um, is made from the same building blocks that sex hormones are made from. And there's something called the cortisol steel. So if you've got a high requirement for uh, cortisol, that might mean that you're not making the right balance of sex hormones. Um, that again can lead to weight gain, particularly during the different um, life stages, you know, for women that are getting into perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause. And sometimes even contraception can affect um, estrogen, which is involved in regulating metabolism and weight management. So that's a big area. Um, so the main, the main approach really with, with that particular group of imbalances would be to think about blood sugar balance and also um, supporting liver and digestive health uh, because they're very much involved in the management of, of hormones uh, and using the right kinds of therapeutic foods and, and nutrients. Um, and then the other couple of areas that I, I would look at would be digestion uh, because often people are eating a really healthy food plan, uh, but they're not digesting and absorbing nutrients correctly. And that can lead to all sorts of digestive imbalances, um, which again can have a knock-on effect to this sort of holding on to weight. Uh, and then another area which I've just touched on a little bit earlier was about the liver uh, and detoxification. Um so sometimes it's to do with how much, uh, you know, what types of food you're eating and what your toxic load is. And I know that again, that's something that we've, we've touched on in other, in other episodes. And um, so with that, I might be looking at what people are eating that could be inflammatory and could be sort of adding to their toxic load. And we're always trying to reduce our toxic load. So we'd be looking at, um, gluten foods, dairy foods, uh, alcohol, caffeine, sugar, um, maybe some other um, toxins from from other um, you know uh, lifestyle types of things that we we might be exposed to, like plastics and pesticides and that kind of thing. Um, and this is very much also related to how you digest and eliminate. Uh, so people that have 
regular constipation, that can be a problem because that can lead to recirculation of uh, toxins and hormones. Um, and also, I think, again, something that I've touched on in previous episodes is that fat cells store toxins. So if you don't have the capacity to eliminate the toxins safely via the liver and the digestive system, that can lead to fat cells holding on to toxins. So it's definitely a, a really important area and it, for, for women in particular to really, um, really look after their detoxification systems. And that's something that I would include in a, a functional plan uh, to help people. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's great, Helen. I think you've, yeah, I think you've given us a, a really good overview of all of those. And I think what's really interesting here then you've highlighted is how they all interconnect. And we always speak about the interconnections as, you know, using that functional medicine approach in, in, in our clinics. And I think this has really highlighted how everything does interconnect, how the hormonal balance and digestion is, is, is closely linked to the liver and the detoxification processes as well. And I'm just thinking about that detoxification, Aileen, because it is very key here, I believe. And I just wondered if we could maybe look at that a, a bit a bit further. You've given us some really great ideas here, but but just what your approach would be with a client if you were sort of focusing on that detoxification pathways. Yeah, well, I, I would approach it slowly uh, and with caution. I think everybody, you know, has got a different toxic load. I mean, it sounds really, um, really serious when you call it toxic load, but if you think of it as congestion, that's the way I think, you know, We've got all these things circulating and we're congested and we need to clear it. Um, so if, if I feel their toxic load is high, then I would suggest um, slowly, very slowly adapting the food plan and slowly removing the toxic elements like alcohol and caffeine. Because if you do it too quickly, um, you might experience severe symptoms and that can be unpleasant. And the last thing we want is for anybody to feel ill. Um, but also my approach is to add good quality food and supportive nutrients to support the liver and the digestive system so that, um, you know, if you do those two things together and you slowly remove the toxic elements and have a period of time of, um, I mean, I call it a nutritional detox because we're actually adding in as many good things as we, we're taking out things that are toxic. Uh, but if you have a period of time where you, you know, and it can be as short as a couple of weeks where you're not having any of these toxic food and drinks, it just is a little bit like spring cleaning. Um, so you spring clean in the liver and digestive system and it just allows your body the opportunity to perhaps release some toxins from fat cells and it often can lead to more energy and lower inflammation. And I find doing that gives people a bit of a step change and it can trigger some weight loss. So it's usually a step that I would include within a program for people. So it might not be the first step, but somewhere along that, that process, I would include this. And it just can, as I say, change this resistance, you know, that you've been held in a place and just by making that step change, people can lose, you know, a few pounds in a relatively short space of time and suddenly everything clicks into place and it starts working. And that can make people feel confident that what they're doing is is making a difference and it makes them feel good. Um, so I think it's really an important element of anybody's plan. 
Yeah, no, I would totally agree, Aileen, that that detoxification process is really, really um, um, a key in sort of, like I say, supporting um Inflammation, hormone balance, and and the digest the digestive process as well. Sort of just by focusing on one area, as you could potentially be supporting so many others. But like you say, to do it to do it cautiously, to do it slowly. And I think you know, for some people, it may sound really complicated. But you know, an experienced NT, nutritional therapist. Oh, sorry, I can't get my words out. An experienced nutritional therapist can assess what is going on using their their expertise. And as you were saying earlier, Aileen, sometimes functional testing can kind of help to develop that therapeutic plan to support the weight loss, just getting some evidence from the testing and then moving forward with that can really support the the individual's goals. And it's about that getting the body systems into balance that's going to to again lead to the to the weight coming off. But it is important, and I think you said this earlier, Aileen, that not not everybody will have to address everything. It's about finding out what's holding that individual back, focusing on it, and then moving forward. So that's some great information here. So, but before we move on, um, I just thought that we could maybe pause for our advert break. And as always, Aileen, you're going to host that for us. Okay, thanks, Karen. Um, so yeah, this is the part of the episode where we, we talk about, um, what Karen and I do outside of the podcast, uh, over at Runners Health Hub. And, uh, over there, we offer a range of services to help you be a fitter, faster, stronger runner. Um, so, you know, as well as our nutrition zone, if anybody wanted some one to one help, with regards to something like resistant weight loss, um, just drop us an email uh, at hello at Runners Health Hub um, and we'll be able to reach out and uh, suggest how we could help you. Um, but thinking about what we do on our online program, uh, that's over in the Runners Nutrition Zone. And there we host an online program called Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners. And it's, uh, it includes uh, lots of short videos, um, usually about 15 minutes long, so you can do them relatively quickly. And there's recipes and downloads, as well as invitations to live sessions to help you put easy nutrition into practice. Uh, so if that's of interest to you, uh, you can find all the details at the website, which is runnershealthhub.com. That's hub.com. And uh, we'll be happy to help you. So. Um, take a look and if you've got any questions drop us an email or messages through Facebook and we'll get back to you. Thank you Aileen. So just getting moving back on to a topic um, right at the beginning Aileen you mentioned about fine-tuning training to support changes in body composition. What can runners consider doing to support this? How, do, how would that help? Yeah, there's a, a few things that I think people can do. There's been um, quite a lot of research research studies, we're both having problems with our teeth today, Karen, into how <laughs> exercise intensity and endurance can improve fat oxidation, which is fat burning, basically, and how that can lead to an improved body composition. Um, 
Some of the studies look at runners and the effects of trained and untrained individuals. So um, there's there's a lot of information out there and, and some of it's quite confusing. So I've sort of tried to um, summarize some of the uh, studies and some of the highlights um, that, that might help people. Um, and most of it you may have already heard of. Um, but, you know, if you think... And the sort of the basics are that, uh, if you've, your lean muscle mass uses, uh, more calories, um, to burn. Um, so it's, it's really important if you've got a high level of lean muscle mass. And even if you're just resting, um, you'll burn more calories. So I think that's a real incentive to us all to build muscle and to add sort of resistance training into our exercise plan. Because if you do that, even when you're sitting still or you're sleeping, you're going to be burning more calories. So I think that's a really important one. Um, also, people that have got a higher fitness level tend to burn more fat per hour. So again, um, you know, doing everything that we can to keep our fitness high. Um, so not just relying on our running, but doing other things as well is, uh, is going to help our overall ability to burn more fat. Um, Something else that is really important to um, understand is that the rate of burning fat varies by person. Um, so we're not all the same. So when, if anybody's reading any of these studies out there, just bear in mind that you're an individual and your genetics and fitness levels will dictate um, what your rate of burning of fat is. So it's not just as easy to read a, a paper and say, well, if I do X, for X minutes, that's what's going to happen. It will be different for everybody. Um, something else that was interesting is to find out that the rate of fat burning per hour increases with the duration of exercise. So actually, the longer, steadier runs will support fat burning, um, but also that the rate of fat burning appears to be uh, the same whether you're exercising at exercising at high or low intensity. Um, so what they were saying in one paper I was reading that if you do short periods of high intensity exercise, that can lead to increased aerobic capacity, which in turn um, will increase your fat burning capacity. So, you know, you can do both really. You can do the, the long endurance runs, but also if you added in the hit or the interval and tempo runs, that's going to help too. Um, so I, I think maybe a combination of these things would help people, um, over a period of time. Um, and then also again, something that we've talked about in previous episodes is running in a fasted state regularly may support fat burning. So ideally early morning and less than 60 minutes. But again, adding that into your routine um, would be helpful. So there's a combination of things that people can think about um, that will, will help. Um, what about you, Karen? Is there anything you, you could suggest for people? 
Yes, well, on top of all of those great ideas, um, Aileen, there's also this idea of the afterburn effect of training. Maybe a lot of people have heard of that. And that's about the energy that's still being burned following um, intensive exercise. So here it's it's more about the intensive exercise rather than the, the slow, easy runs that you were speaking about where, yes, you will burn, you'll burn more fat because you're going for longer. But regarding that afterburn effect where your, your, your metabolic rate is still higher, um, that seems to occur more often with the high intensity training rather than the, the easy, slow training. It's not saying that, that it doesn't happen, but it's just less pronounced on the slow, easy type of training. And then again, you mentioned the strength training. Now, that's really good, again, for building that muscle. And as you were saying, the more lean muscle you've got, the more calories that you're going to use at, at rest. So um, a really good incentive um, to, 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 to put in the strength training um, so that you will sort of burn more calories. And um, but also it's it's important um, to support that running efficiency as well. So there's lots of good reasons for including strength training into your training plan. And also, I think I've spoken about the, this before as well, the incidental activity and how important that is, as well as your, your daily training, whatever that may be, just being active during the day rather than sitting all the time, or maybe just getting up from your desk every 40 minutes and moving around doing something that, that increase in that, um, daily activity, that incidental activity, is known to really encourage insulin sensitivity and that cell uptake of blood sugar. So as well as, 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 or, or, but it's, it's supporting, um, sort of weight loss potentially by encouraging that insulin sensitivity and that blood sugar balance, basically. So those are just a few other potentials on top of, of, um, what you said, Aileen. So, so just thinking about what we've spoken about overall, um, I think there are, are many ways for an individual to potentially fine tune their training to support the body composition and weight loss, as well as the other areas, sort of the, the biochemical imbalances as well are going to be included there. And as well as the way we eat, it's also about the way we train. So, so just thinking about it again and recapping, it's about building that lean muscle through varying um, your training, encouraging the body to use fat as fuel in the different ways that you described there, Aileen, and just increasing that incidental activity each day, just getting up from your desk and moving around. So, this really brings us um, to the end of, of another great discussion, Aileen, and it just seems to have passed so quickly as it always does. But as always, just before we do go, could you give us your key takeaways from this episode? Yes, sure, Karen. So I think the first one is uh, know your energy requirements and um, what they are based on your resting metabolic rate and your activity factors and be prepared to adjust them depending on what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So fuel adequately for your training runs. And remember to add in those pre, during, and post uh, snacks um, into your energy requirements and calorific requirements for the day. So not on top of it, but included within 
uh, what your requirements are. Um, adjust your food plan um, for the endurance exercise and for your lighter days. Uh, and most importantly, address the biochemical imbalances. And you probably will need to seek some professional advice for that. And, and we can certainly help you with that. Um, and what I would say is that I, I often find that when people do um, make that kind of investment, it sort of they understand what is going on and suddenly they can drop all the guilt and blame that they're putting on themselves about, you know, why why am I not getting the results? You can understand why and then you can do something about it. Um, also, you know, as Karen suggested, you know, for you adjust your run training and help uh, build lean muscle, that's going to be another part of the, the jigsaw uh, to help you. But I'd also just like to say that we are all individuals. We don't live in a sports science lab, so we might not get the same results that the studies get. And also, I would really recommend that you don't focus on the scales. So consider how your shape is, um, what the tone of your muscles are. Use a tape measure because often you'll find that you are changing shape Um Work out what your fat and muscle mass is. Think about your performance, your energy, strength. Uh, all of these things add up to great body composition. And uh, it's not just to do with the numbers on the scale. And remember, be systematic, be consistent, layer on the practices. Um, it is challenging, but if you chip away at it and you're really consistent, you know, you will get good results but it might take a while, uh, but just keep going with it and you will get there. Right. Thanks for that, Aileen. I think you've given us some great insights into that resistant weight loss and how it can be overcome. So thank you for another great um, conversation. And remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. 
Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. Mm-hmm.